When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi. Serious. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams. And I'm Sharonik Boshu. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Friends of High Theory, thank you so much for talking to us and listening to us this past year. Our audience has grown way beyond what we had expected when we started on this journey. If you like what we do, please consider rating us and writing a review on the platform you use to listen to High Theory. Many thanks in advance. Hello, and welcome to High Theory. Today we are talking about aunties with Kareem Chandani. Kareem, before we go on to the topic, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. My name is Kareem Kupchandani. I'm an assistant professor in theater, dance, and performance studies and women's gender and sexuality studies at Tufts University. I'm the author of Ishtail, Accenting Gay Indian Nightlife that came out in 2020, the co-editor of Queer Nightlife that came out in 2021, and also the curator of the website Critical Auntie Studies. My very first question Who the heck are aunties? Aunties are my favorite people. (laughs) Aunties are those figures that orbit the nuclear family, women and femme figures who are proximal to the nuclear family. They are your parents' sisters. They are neighbors. They are shopkeepers. Aunties can refer to many, 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 many kinds of figures that live around the nuclear family. In my research, and particularly in South Asian public cultures, I think aunties are also an archetype, right? They're a specific figure that appear in literature and in TV serials and comic books. They're exactly that figure who's able to come into the domestic space, but are not of it. They bring gossip from the outside in, but they also come in and police what's going on inside of the space as well. And people do lots of interesting things with exactly that archetype. So on the one hand, you've got in TV shows like Netflix's Never Have I Ever, you've got the sort of gossipy aunties who are surveilling the community and deciding how young Indian Americans should behave. And on the other hand, you've got pornographic characters like Vilama and Savita Bhabi, who are these 
fat, voluptuous, sari-clad aunties who are always pictured in domestic spaces, but are having really hot sex with their husbands and everybody else's husband and postal workers delivering packages to the house. So the auntie is this really interesting figure who is part of the domestic space, but can trouble it as well. And she appears in all kinds of media. Where I learned the most about aunties and where we might find them most, I think, are in memes of young people talking about how aunties discipline their gender and sexuality and body and make claims about generational difference between them and their aunties. I'm wondering how, in your work, how are you reading misogyny and gender-based violence into this figure? One of the ways that I think about aunties is that they are the femme authorities that we have the right to critique. In some sense, I think they're a way of protecting the mother and the sister as these really valuable kinship roles in South Asian public cultures. And so the auntie becomes the whipping post and the scapegoat for other kinds of misogyny and ageism and fat phobia. These are actually all tied into each other. But the auntie is this way of doing generational critique, but it's often the auntie, not the uncle. The uncle gets to be the sweet, funny, goofy figure and also doesn't appear that often. It is often women who are criticized for their quote-unquote backward values. My interests are in, are very much in queer and trans studies, and I think it's young queer and trans folks who are often making these critiques of aunties. And what I think is missing is the impossibility of seeing the older South Asian woman as queer or trans, that we actually forget that those figures exist so we can make generalizations about aunties because we actually fail to see multiplicity inside of the category of auntie or in these older figures. And so if we think about aunties beyond the domestic space, right, if we can think more broadly about the category, I think we give more permission for older or middle-aged women to embody other kinds of aesthetics and desires and pleasures. So I think you've begun answering my next question. And here I'm talking about not real people, but the theoretical concept of aunties. But how do we use aunties? You know, Queer Studies has been so excited about the idea of the chosen family and other forms of kinship. And I think that the post-colonial diasporic transnational family has always been doing chosen family. Mm, right? yeah. For those people who've been displaced across national borders and by partitions and other kinds of dispossession and displacement, these auntie figures, these collective mothers, these networks of kinship that are not necessarily based on bloodline yeah. have always been practices of survival. So I think that aunties can teach queer theory a lot. You know, I think about aunties as queer and the kinds of excesses of embodiment that the archetype often is presented as fat, overdressed, accented. But I think that around this question of kinship, thinking with aunties helps us think more capaciously about chosen family and think with a longer history of the need for chosen family based not just on LGBT identities, but on histories of racial capitalism and settlement and dispossession. There's an important discourse in Native studies around the aunties who collectively raise and care for communities. So one of the things I like to recuperate from the negative stereotype of the auntie is gossip and the auntie's ability to create other networks of information 
And sometimes that's misinformation, but sometimes that's actually also life-saving information about who to avoid and why. Sarah Ahmed has written about how aunties taught her theory, and Erica Violet Lee has written about how aunties have protected her as she navigates the academy. These networks of information between aunties can be really important. And one of the things I use aunties for in an essay in porn studies called Between Aunties is to think about gossip as a way of foraging through narratives for those figures who are on the periphery, right? That ability to like pick through details the way that aunties do and are known for is actually a form of close reading, right? They find something small and make it something big. And so I think of gossip and the auntie's eagle eye as a really beautiful reading method as well. It reminds us that critique can be fun and important. Mm. Finding those peripheral moments, figures, aesthetics, we can actually make a lot out of them. And I do this also because the figure of the auntie herself is relegated to the margins of a narrative. She sort of comes and goes and is never the central figure. So using auntie methods, I think about how we can find the auntie herself and constitute an auntie study through this kind of gossipy mode of picking and choosing inside of larger texts. There is a kind of baseline angularity and liminality to the auntie, which from the beginning replaces the, the centrisms of blood relations and thereby opens up lateral ways of thinking. Exactly. Okay, so my basic question is how will aunties save the world? What kind of messianic potential, let's say, do you find in aunties? You use the word liminal, and I think that's exactly the position from which the auntie can save us. The nuclear family in the privatized domestic space has become so sanctified by various forms of politics and law, even popular culture, that that figure who sits right at the edge of the family and of the home has the capacity to foreclose what the family looks like, but also has the capacity to open it up and sneak in dirty jokes and forms of queerness. I mean, I very much think about myself as the queer auntie who shows up and doesn't explain my queerness and is just like wearing too much jewelry all the time. And my nieces are like, why do you have a Hello Kitty wallet? Isn't that for women? But it's precisely that disruption she's able to bring into the home that I think is really valuable. And that work is life-saving. So in the play Brahmani by Aditi Brennan Kapil, this young intersex person actually looks to their very drunk auntie who shows up drinking whiskey out of a Coke can. And it's the auntie who actually tells this young person that the subcontinent has queer ancestors that you can look to and binary gender isn't the only option for you and that sexuality is part of our racialization in history. The auntie's ability to sneak more into the home, to let you out. There's a meme about the auntie who goes and picks up her sister's kids from the party that they're at when they need a ride home. You know, that auntie that lets you party a little bit more, that lets you transgress boundaries, it's precisely because yeah. of her position as a liminal figure at the boundaries of the home, at the boundaries of time, that give permission for us to indulge in more pleasure and more life. Hearing you talk about this made me think of all the ways in which academics replace parental structures with the institution. So I'm wondering, who are the aunties there? 
That's such a great question. I think of it in two ways. One is that I, I'm not here to be a parent to my students, but I also realize that I'm one of very few queer POC elders that any of my students will meet, right, during their college years. And so it is, in fact, necessary for me to acknowledge the way they place that on me, whether or not yeah. I want to do that labor, right? Yeah. And auntie becomes that ambivalent position of saying, okay, I don't have the responsibility, but I can play with this, right? right. And I can come and go as I please. Right. And I tell my students, because they all want to call me by my first name, right. and they can't seem to say Professor Kupchantani or hold it in their mouth the entire semester. So I give them the option of auntie. Huh. To me, it is good and is affirming, and it works for me. I'm not saying that it can or should work for everybody else, but it works for me. Yeah. The other reason I think of myself as auntie in the academy is not because of students and generational care, but is in fact about where I'm placed inside of the university as an interdisciplinary scholar. You know, I'm often marginal to the very institution itself. Yes. The work that I do, the bad objects that I study, like aunties, like nightlife, like drag, don't place me at the center of what proper study can look like and should look like. When donors are giving to the university, it's not my research that they're <laughs> excited about, right? right? It's that anti-liminality. It reminds me that when students take my classes, they are taking them as distribution requirements and they can't actually imagine a future for themselves inside of that, right? right. I'm never that nuclear figure for the university, for a discipline or anything like that. And that's my own survival strategy to think of myself as auntie. It allows me to teach classes then where I can lead students astray <laughs> and I can sneak in that strange material into the academy and say, look at this, have you looked at these strange objects and why can't sex and nightlife and pleasure and the body be parts of your study, even if it's for only one semester, but maybe you'll go and invest in a life of pleasure beyond this moment if I do this kind of auntie work. Yeah, that is amazing. Thank you, Karim. Thank you. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.